Greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph, and we are now in Lesson 52. Last time, we, the last chapter we're covering was Chapter 30 in Jeremiah, and we went through the first verses where it talks about uh, the deliverance of Israel, and after that, God is telling them about the, the most horrible captivity and persecution and tribulation and affliction that is coming upon them, the greatest one that ever came upon them since the day that they became a nation in one sense, from the time they came out of Egypt. So it's going to be much worse than Egypt, much worse than all the other captivities they had, either the captivity of the house of Israel, the northern kingdom, or the southern kingdom, or the destruction that came upon them in the second temple, or all the afflictions that came upon them in the past 2,000 years, especially in the last 50 years that came specific on the house of Judah. But also the nations of Israel suffered from it. That is, uh, the nations of Israel that uh, are scattered in Europe and other places. And of course, uh, other people are not uh, aware of that because they don't even know the identity of Israel. The nations of Israel themselves are not uh, aware of their own identity, but God knows who they are, and we know who they are by the grace of God. That knowledge is with us and with others who know history and who are objective. And so God basically is telling them that because of their affliction, uh, that is because of their iniquities and their corruption and all those things that uh, had been in their midst because they have rejected his path and his way and his law and the identity of his church and the laws that govern that church that he gave them. Therefore, they're going to go through this captivity, the most horrible one that ever came upon them, that in essence will tell the Holocaust of 50 years ago into insignificance in one sense. You can't say in insignificance because it was a, uh, the most horrible thing that ever came upon them. But the scope of it uh, is uh, minimal in comparison to what is going to happen to the entirety of the house of Jacob, which today numbers in the hundreds of millions. And it's not only the small people of Judah. And we are going to continue now with chapter 30 and verse 16 where God uh, continues the story. And he tells his people, therefore, all those who devour you, that is, after all this punishment that is God, God is going to bring upon them. And you can read the verses in between, between uh, uh, verse 12 and verse 15, where God describes the, the, the wickedness that is in Israel and uh, the reason for the punishment. And therefore, all those who devour you, now he, you know, he turns to the enemies of Israel, and he's, uh, in essence, warning them. You shall be devoured, and all your adversaries, every one of them, shall go into captivity. Every one of them, every people that had afflicted Jacob, the house of Israel, the church of God, is going to go into captivity. And those who plunder you shall become plunder. And all who prey upon you, I will make a prey. So nobody's going to get away with anything. And that's comfort also for the children of Israel. You know, when they are going through that horrible captivity, obviously, naturally, they're going to seek vengeance. They're going to pray for vengeance. They're going to call on God to avenge them of all the evil that came upon them, even though they were responsible for it, collectively speaking, not individually. And God is already telling them he's going to avenge. But first, he wants them to learn the lessons that will drive them totally and completely and all the way back to him to become his church again and to become his bride again and his wife again and this time with the new, under the new covenant conditions 
And that's how Christ was going to build his church. And those who had no background never understood what he's talking about. I just came, sort of speaking of the end of the movie. Just like you enter into a conversation at the end, and you don't know what went ahead of it, you don't know the context, you don't know the background, and you think that you do understand what you are listening to, and you don't. You just, you think you do. And so he says that all those who afflicted Israel are going to go through the same. He's going to give them a healthy dose and a taste of their own medicine. Because they too are evil and wicked. Nobody is righteous before God. All have done evil. All have sinned and all have come short of his glory. That includes all the members of the body of Christ. Verse 17. For I will restore health to you and heal you of your wounds, says the Eternal, because they called you an outcast, saying, This is Zion. No one seeks her. And that was the attitude in the past 2,000 years. God rejected his people Israel. Who wants them? Let them go to hell. We are not a church. And that was the haughtiness and the arrogance of the counterfeit church. And the churches that came out of her, they in specific you know, had that attitude toward the house of Judah. And this, many of them still do to this very day. And they are going to have it toward, toward uh, and they've had it in the past uh, decades toward those that they had recognized, well, not that they, that they recognized them as the people of God, but the ones that claimed to be the people of God, the true church of God, uh, that persecuted them. In other words, they persecuted us. And many have hated uh, those who came to the knowledge of the truth. And even parents, and even uh, relatives, persecuted uh, those in their midst who came to the knowledge of the truth. And so that, in essence, is what they are saying. Verse 18, Thus says the Eternal, Behold, I will bring back the captivity of Jacob's tents. See, this prophecy was given 28, 20, about 2,600 years ago. So you can see very plainly, God never rejected his church. So what need is there for him to have another church? God never rejected his wife. And God is not going to have two wives in the future, just one, one bride. So where is this misconception and deception and lie? That God had a wife, he rejected her, divorced her, cut her off. When he died, that was the end of it. He's no longer bound to her. They don't understand the scriptures in the New Testament, what they are talking about. And now he chose us. God says, I never did. I'm punishing you, but I've never rejected you, never forsaken you, never will. And that's why he's going to heal them, and wash them, and cleanse them, and purge them, and purify them with his own blood. So that Israel, his wife, may be without spots and without blemishes. And then he's going to turn around, marrying Israel, only now, under new conditions. That's when the new covenant is made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And people who don't understand the whole story, they're just confused. Thus says the Eternal, verse 18, Behold, I will bring back the captivity of Jacob's tents and have mercy on his dwelling places. The city shall be built upon its, ma uh, its own mound, that is ruins, and the palace shall remain according to its own plan. Then out of them shall proceed thanksgiving, and the voice of those who make merry, 
I will multiply them and they shall not diminish. I will also glorify them and they shall not be small. What is it that Christ said in his last prayer to his Father? Glorify me with the glory that I had with you from the beginning. And now he says, I give my disciples also the same glory. That is when the time comes. And he's talking about his church and he's talking about his people. He's thinking all the way to the end of the story. His wife. He's going to glorify his wife. And so many times he told them long in advance. I will also glorify them. And you see, when people in the New Testament who were aware of all these things hear these words of Christ, they understand what he's talking about because they've heard it before. But the prophets were himself inspired them. As Peter said, the spirit of Christ that was in them, that is in the prophets, spoke all these things. So they were totally illuminated and in the light in many ways. Not totally in the sense that they knew everything. But they had known so much and those who had no background think that they understand and know and they know very little. And they cannot put things together and they can certainly not put all the pieces of the puzzle in the right order according to the right pattern. Because when you haven't got the whole thing and you don't know the pattern in the whole picture, you just don't know where to put those pieces. And so you create a hodgepodge of your own imagination and a and, uh, figment of your uh, you know, imagination and you think that's right, but it's not. And then in verse 20, their children also shall be as before, and their congregation shall be established before me. And if you remember before that, when we explained in detail the concept of congregation in Hebrew, the name that God gave his people, and we read it in Exodus chapter 12, three times, or God for the first time gave that name to his people, which he never called them before. He called them Adah, body of witnesses. And this is again what he's saying here. When he's talking about that his congregation shall be established before me, that's the word he used. Adato, his congregation, the body of witnesses, the church, the only one. And he said, that church is going to be established before me. So speaking about the physical descendants of the house of Israel that came out of Jacob, out of his own body. They are the true church of God. We are, will be, always, the only one. And then others that God is grafting into the commonwealth of Israel. And so God makes it very plain. This is my church. Not others or counterfeit churches, or others who are mixed up, know an awful lot of the truth, and have the Holy Spirit, but because they came out of Babylon, out of the churches of Revelation 17, they brought it with them, at least in part. And those kind of things blind our eyes, and twist our understanding, and we don't comprehend it fully. And God tells us, you're still in Babylon. Come out of Babylon. To his people he's saying that, for that reason. Just like he told his people, come out of Egypt. Not only physically, but spiritually, come out of it too. Don't go back there. And many of us are going back to the roots. Thinking, I don't see any difference between us and them. Of course we don't. If we use their terminology. And have quite a bit of their theology still in our hearts and our minds. 
and have the very hatred and resentment that they had all this time against the law of God, it's not difficult to go back. And so God says, and there, Edom, or Adato, that is, the church that he established from Sinai, from uh, actually from uh, the time he brought them out of, out of the land of Egypt, and it's interesting that the time when he called them by that name is when he asked them to to take the, the lamb and uh, offer it in, uh, as a sacrifice and kill it, kill the Passover. You see, so that's when he began the church, just like to, later on in the Last Supper, when he said to his disciples, "You know, take this, take this wine, take this bread. You know, that symbolizes me, my flesh and my blood." And so it was in in, uh, in Egypt when he brought them out of that. And so God is going to establish his church before himself. That's what he says. And their congregation, and their edah, and their body of witnesses, so that's the, the true name, the original name, and the only name of the church of God. Because when you say congregation, you're perverting the scripture. Congregate, congregation means people who congregate. For that, there is another word in Hebrew, kehila. From that comes the word public or assembly. So he's not saying their assembly shall be established before me. He says their ada, the body of witnesses. That's what the church is all about. And now in English, unfortunately, everything has been translated in such a way that you don't know which is which. So the church, when it speaks about a local place, that's kehila, or about an assembly. They assemble, they congregate, or congregation. But when you talk about the whole body that God put together, that he forged in the land of Egypt, and then he gave them the Passover sacrifice to begin the process of atonement for them, you know, and deliver them from death, which he brought upon Egypt, that's the name he gave them. He gave it to them. They didn't come up with it. And he called them Edah. And so he continued to use that terminology uh, whenever he felt that it was necessary to use it, and needful. And that's what he's saying here. And so when you, when you say congregation, you're th- thinking about in Hebrew, kehila, not edah. When you say edah, it means body of witnesses, or the real name that it should be uh, for church. But then church is not really a translation of the word edah, so you cannot really use that in, in, in the real sense. But if you do, at least understand that this is what it means. And understand under what circumstances you should use it. If you want to talk only about a congregation, then it's something else. And if you want to talk about an assembly, that's the same as a congregation. They assemble. But when you talk about a church, a church is not a building. A church is a body of witnesses. And then that body of witnesses became a living body. And that's when the Holy Spirit came than the witnesses and the, that, so to speak, uh, body of witnesses in terms of the nation became a living thing. Like, the, you know, the lively stones that Paul is talking about. A living building. Because life is in us. Well, before that we were in death, so to speak, because we were under sin. And so let's understand it from God's point of view, always. Then our eyes shall be clear and we shall be able to see and not be confused and drunk with the wine, as God said, of the fornication, of the wrath 
of the great whore of Babylon, out of which we must come, or else we're going to be a part of it, and partakers of her plagues. And so God says in verse 20, Their children also shall be as before. And how were they before? Well, they brought them out of the land of Egypt. Well, he brought them into the land of Israel, when they were his church and only church, to whom he said, You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. So God is telling them that children shall be as they were before. And whose children is he talking about? And their congregation, their church, shall be established before me. And I'm using church because not not that it is the translation, the correct translation, but because that's the usage of the word that we that is before us. That's the word we use. But at least understand what it means. So at least if the translation is not correct, at least understand what it means. And so and he says, And I will punish all who oppress them. The nobles shall be from among them, that is the nobles of Israel, not from others who are going to govern and rule over them. And their governor shall come from their midst, the one who is going to rule over them. And in specific, King David, and then the apostles over all the tribes of Israel, because that's the church, there is no other. And then I will cause him, speaking of Jacob, to draw near, and he shall approach me. For who is this who pledged his heart to approach me, says the Eternal. In other words, who dares come to me unless I have called him? And people say, well, I accepted Christ in my heart. And uh, I gave my, my heart to the Lord when I was a child or here and there, whatever. It doesn't work that way. You don't make God choose you. God chooses. He does the choosing. And of Israel, his people, his church, he said, you only have I chosen. I'm not choosing anybody else. They're going to be the children, but they're not going to be my wife. And so God says, nobody dares approach me. In other words, no one, no one can come to me, as he said later on, to his disciples and those who heard him. In John 6, several times, no, no one can come unto me unless the Father draws him. And the Father drew the house of Israel. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, their descendants, to be his people and the bride of his son. He is the one that does it. No man can do that. And no man can replace them. No matter how many lies they throw into the air, claiming that we are the one. And God said, and he shall approach me. That is the one that God chose. For who is this who pledges his heart to approach me, says the eternal. And you shall be, verse 22, my people. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. That means you're going to be my wife, and I'm going to be your husband. That's a context. That's like as it was before, he said. So it shall be now. And if we don't see it from God's point of view, we're going to get mixed up and believe all the lies that other nations believe. And let's go now to chapter 31. In verse 1, we read, at that at the same time, says the Eternal, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. How many times does God have to tell us before we believe Him? And so far He told us already many, many times. And people have a hard time with that. That's why it's so convenient for people to say, well, you know, I don't want to hear about the Old Testament, just give me the New Testament. What spirit is in such people who speak like that? Verse 2. 
Thus is eternal. The people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. So to whom God is going to give his grace? Israel. When I went to give him rest. That's the people he's talking about. Verse 3. The eternal has appeared of old to me saying. Speaking of Jacob. His wife. Yes. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Was God lying to them? Only until I, I come and, you know, I'm crucified and then forget about you. You're going to get me somebody else. A younger woman. A prettier one than you are. You see how evil that deception is? How blasphemous it is? How dark? And what is the source of it? Verse 3 again. The eternal has appeared of old, that is, long time ago, from afar, to me saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness I have drawn you again. I will build you and you shall be rebuilt, O virgin of Israel. You shall again be adorned with your tambourines and shall go forth in the dances of those who rejoice. You shall yet plant vines on the mountains of Samaria. Where is Samaria? Today, ironically, the very people who should be mindful of that land and realize that's the land of Israel, you know, the land uh, uh, that belongs to their forefathers, to which they will return had they known their identity, they are the ones who are trying to put pressure on the people of Judah, their own brethren, to give it up. Give it to the enemy. And how do you think God looks upon that? When the President of the United States and many others and many all the nations of Israel are twisting the arms of Judah, their brother, to give it up. The territory that belongs to them in the future they're going to reside in it. It's amazing. The planters shall plant and eat them as ordinary food. For there shall be a day when the watchmen will cry on Mount Ephraim in the nation of Israel. And of Ephraim, when they, their eyes are open to know who they really are. And they will say, Arise, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. All this time for centuries they say, Well, he, uh, that God of Israel is the God of the Old Testament, the old harsh monster. We don't want to have anything to do with him. We don't like his law. We don't want his country. We don't want those Jews. We're not Jews. Content, you know, many, many centuries. Now it's going to be a different story. After the tribulation, they're going to sing a new song. Arise, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. Verse 7, For thus says the Eternal, Sing with gladness for Jacob, and shout among the chief of the nations, Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Eternal, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, God is replying. In other words, as I go through the tribulation, God in advance, long time ago, already recorded all these things. So you can see that he planned it, the whole thing in detail, so to speak, from the beginning until the end. So there was never any reason, at least on the part of Israel, to ever come under the the false doctrines and teachings and the darkness of Babylon to believe all these lies. 
So God said, Behold, verse 8, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them the blind and the lame, the woman with child and the one who, had, who labors with child together. A great throng shall return there. They shall come with weeping and with supplications. I will lead them. No longer will they be there, you know, the stiff upper lipped Ephraimites or the rest of Israel who hate the law of God who speak contemptuously against it, that Jewish Sabbath, you know, all the rest, they're going to come with supplications once they realize who they are and what they are and what they've done and their hatred toward their brethren of the house of Judah and the religion which they thought, you know, it's Jewish religion or the biblical Judaism, I'm not speaking about rabbinic Judaism, that's the difference between the two, the two religions. Biblical Judaism is what God gave them. Rabbinic Judaism is what they have invented and mixed the two together and came up with what is called Judaism. And that's why Christ, when he referred to biblical Judaism, he said, doesn't it say in your law? You know, in the law of the Jews. Because you are the only ones keeping it. And he's speaking about the entirety of the book. And so... It says, they shall come with weeping and with supplications. I will lead them and I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way, straight way, not the crooked one in which they walked and they thought they were walking in, in righteousness. You know, they called it Christianity. And everything was Christian, Christian, Christian. Yes, many of those things came from the mouth of Christ, which is fine from that point of view to call it Christian. Nothing wrong with that. But you know what the intent was behind it? To claim that we've got our own, our own religion and you've got your own. And whatever they thought, uh, their teachings and, and concepts and ideas, which, which they understood from the Bible to be the same as that of the Jews, they call it Judeo-Christian. You see? Anything but God. It's a law of God. Christ himself said, I didn't come to observe, you know, and obey my own laws. I came to obey the law of the Father. The laws of God. So it's the way of God. It's not either Christianity or Judaism. That's the way of the eternal. That's why even the feast that he gave. He didn't say these are the feasts of Israel, these are the Jewish feasts, or these are the Christian feasts. These are the feasts of the eternal, the feast of God. And you have to learn the terminology of God. 2,800 years the people of Israel have forgotten the terminology of God. And even though they read it in their own in their own Bible, that is in the Bible that they that themselves have uh, spread all around the world, and they know, at least the English translation of the terminology of the law of God, they know statutes, they know ordinances and judgments and precepts and uh, testimonies and commandments, they know all these things, but they prefer to change all that and speak about Christian doctrine, Christian values, Christian principles, Christian teachings and so forth. What spirit is really behind it? Think about it. What's the intent behind it? What was the original intent by those who divorced themselves from the religion of Israel and began to invent their own terminology? What was the intent behind it? This is what the problem is. Not just saying Christian doctrine. There's nothing wrong with that. Or Christian value because Christ taught those things. And he is the one that taught Israel. And he's the one that spoke through Moses and the prophets. That too should be called Christian. But they don't. And that's where the problem is. That's where the evil is. They don't. They divide between them and their own mind the two gods. 
God is all testament, and the thing is the old harsh monster, the father. And the smarter than him, the one that came in the New Testament, the person of Jesus Christ. That's why God says, come out of Babylon, you're all mixed up. You don't even think straight, you're drunk. And so, God says, verse 9 again, They shall come with weeping and with supplications. I will lead them and I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way, a righteous way, in which they shall not stumble. Because in the unrighteous way, their own religion, they stumble all the time. As Peter would say, it's always worth repeating. Those who are unlearned, they got their own religion. They are the ones that wrestle with the scripture to their own destruction. So they stumble in the way. God says, in my way, in my religion, you're not going to stumble. You know right from wrong. What is true, what is not. And he ends up by saying, for I am a father to Israel. I'm the father of Israel. I'm the husband of Israel. Israel is my church, my people, nobody else. And Ephraim is my firstborn. Speaking about the nation of Israel, or the ten uh, tribes of Israel, the northern kingdom, Ephraim became the first among them. So in that sense, he too is called the firstborn, though he was not really the firstborn, Manasseh was. Verse 10, Hear the word of the eternal, O nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He who scattered Israel will gather him. And yet for 2,000 years, they said, He who scattered Israel sent them to hell. Rejected them, cast them away, and chose us. Now we are the church. And when I hear it from the unbelievers, it's one thing, but to hear it from the people who call themselves the people of God, that's difficult to understand. As many say, well, Israel was the people of God, but they know once Christ died, that was it. We love them, we want them to be redeemed and repent and all that stuff. And in their mind, they oftentimes think about the Jews. And they don't even think as they should uh, about the entirety of the nation of Israel. And they you know, say, so, well, we love them, but uh, we are the church of God. They are not. That's a Babylonian thinking. And so God says, "He, uh, the nations are going to recognize that, that he who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. And whatever Christ talked about being the shepherd of the flock, that's the flock he was talking about, the house of Israel. At that time, only few were being called. Sprinkles. Because he told Isaiah, I don't intend to call them now. I'm going to do it at the end of time. And yet, people forgot that. Because they rejected his truth and his word and his law. And yet they claim that they are following him. That they are Christians, and that's a blasphemy to call yourself a Christian when you hate the Word of God. You're not part of it. He that claims to be a Christian must also walk as he walked. And yet those who call him a liar, how can they walk like he does? And reject his teachings throughout the entirety of the book from beginning until the end, from Genesis to Revelation in many ways. And so he said, as a shepherd, I'm going to keep my flock. This is the flock he's talking about. My fold, my sheep. And when he comes, says, I'm going to gather my sheep. I've been scattered in all directions because of the deceivers that came among them and lied to them. Verse 11, for the eternal redeemed Jacob, past tense, 
2,600 years ago, the Eternal redeemed Jacob. He who calls things which are not as though they are, speaks. And that's what he said 2,600 years ago. And ransomed him from the hand of one stronger than he. And the ransom that he paid was his own blood and his own body. Twelve. Therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion, streaming to the goodness of the eternal for wheat and new wine and oil. For the young of the flock and the herd, their souls shall be like a well-watered garden, and they shall sorrow no more at all. That's mainly because of their own iniquities and the wickedness of the nations around them. Verse 13. Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance, and the young men, and they all together, for I will turn their mourning into joy, will comfort them, and make them rejoice rather than sorrow. I will satiate their, the soul of the priests with abundance, because the priesthood is going to be restored, and sacrifices are going to be restored, in spite of the lies that many have told against it. Well, they say it's all done away with, because they never understood what Paul was talking about, thinking that Paul is doing away with the law. And he says, there are all those people out there, malicious people, who are claiming that I'm speaking against the law, and they're liars, and they still do to this very day. And he said, in my, and the, and the soul of the priests with abundance, he's going to satiate them, and that is fill them to the full. And my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, says the Eternal. And then he talks about the fact that, uh, again, he goes back to the time when his people are in iniquity. So he's going back and forth all the time. And it's very interesting to always see it from God's point of view. And let's continue now in uh, verse uh, 15. Thus says the Eternal, a voice was heard in Ramah. Ramah, that's a, that's a heel. That's what Rama means, a hill. Uh, in other words, that's where Rachel was buried, so they called it Ramat Rachel, uh, which means the hill of Rachel. Uh, so God says, The voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children. And so when, when uh, the children were being massacred and butchered by Herod, because they wanted to kill the child, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, that statement was mentioned at that time in Matthew 2.18. And so God says, uh, the voice is going to be heard in Ramah because there are no more. In other words, the children of Israel, uh, that was applied in essence to Christ, but this is also an application to the fact that the children of Israel, the children of uh, Rachel, are gone. Children of Joseph, uh, they used to live in that area. Uh, they're gone, gone into captivity. God says, don't worry about it. Verse 16, that says eternal, refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work shall be rewarded. Now, of course, Rachel is not really crying, but, you know, God is using his own emotions and feelings and he's injecting it as if it is, in, you know, into the person of Rachel. So, he is really speaking and these are his emotions and his feelings. And God says, thus says eternal, refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. Those are really the tears of God himself, for his people, for his wife, for his children. For he says, for your work shall be rewarded, says the eternal, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. 
So when did he ever reject them? Verse 17, there is hope, he says, in your future. Don't worry. And it seems the people of Judah that went to the synagogue and read the law and the prophets always knew it, never lost that vision. Therefore, they always knew who are the true people of God. And, you know, if you please, they always knew who is the true church of God. Of course, not understanding uh, fully uh, where the tribes of Israel are, they basically generally thought about themselves, but also, they also knew that the tribes of Israel are coming back, all of them. And so, that knowledge was there, but it was lost on the children of Israel that went into captivity and lost their identity. So God says, there is hope in your future, says the Eternal, that your children shall come back to their own border. In verse 18, I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself, and that's talking about now. Now, God is not calling them the English people. He calls them Ephraim. So he never lost them. There is no such a thing as the lost sheep of the house of Israel in, in the true sense. And lost, in other words, they strayed away. That's what it means. But not lost, that he doesn't know where they are. Or some of his people who didn't know who they are, they always knew who they are. But the majority didn't. And so God says, I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself. You have chastised me, and I was chastised. Like an untrained bull, you know, John Bull. Restore me and I will return, for you are the eternal my God. You know, no more is going to look on the God of Israel as the God of the Old Testament or the old harsh monster of the Father. He's going to recognize Jesus Christ, the true one, because now they don't know Jesus Christ. They think they do. And all the English-speaking people who think they do, they don't know Jesus Christ. They don't know the God of Israel. They don't know the husband of Israel. They think they do. They've been given a false knowledge and concept of a false Christ. Verse 19, Surely after my turning I repented. What a turn of events. And after I was instructed, I struck myself on the thigh. I was ashamed, yes, even humiliated, because I bore the reproach of my youth. And God replies, Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For thou spoke against him. You see? Just like he says about Judah, just like all the tribes of Israel. Yes, you know, I, I, I hate what you are doing. I abhor what you are doing. I am furious. I'm going to pour my wrath on you, but I'm never going to reject you. And so God says, is Ephraim, you know, Jesus Christ is saying that. The husband of Israel. Is Ephraim my dear son? Of course he is. Is he a pleasant child? Yes, he is. For though I spoke against him, I earnestly remember him. Still, never forgot Israel. Never forgot his church, never divorced his church to cut them off totally. Even death, his death, did not meet an end of that relationship. Because when a man dies, he's dead, then his wife is free to remarry. But when the husband of Israel died, he was resurrected. The marriage continued. So you cannot compare one with the other all the way. Just an analogy. It breaks down at a certain point. And so he said, I earnestly remember him still, even though he spoke against him. Therefore my heart yearns for him. And I will surely have mercy on him, says the Eternal. And ironically, many among the children of Ephraim and Manasseh and other tribes of Israel who became members of the, of the false religion, thinking that they are in the true religion, thought of all the Jews, which they thought, you know, all the Israelites are Jews, they're all in hell. And here on the other hand, this is what their father, their father and their God and their husband thinks about them. It's amazing. 
Now, no wonder what God says the time will come when you're going to loathe yourself and abhor yourself for what you've been doing and thinking all this time of me and of my church, of which you are. Verse 21, set up signposts, make landmarks, set your heart toward the highway, the way in which you went. Turn back, O virgin of Israel, turn back to this, your cities. Come back to the land. How long will you get about, O you backsliding daughter? For the Eternal has created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall compass a man, the church, the wife the bride of Jesus Christ, of the God of Israel, is not going to turn around and court him once they recognize what they've done, once the punishment come upon them, once their eyes are open, and the church of God will return to her husband instead of him having to court her all the time and she constantly backslides and goes away and runs away from him. So now you're going to turn around, you're going to court me for a change. Speaking about his church, his only church, his only woman, his only wife. There is none else. Paul said, let God be true and every man a liar who speaks otherwise. Verse 23. Thus is the eternal of hosts, the God of Israel. Thus shall again use this speech in the land of Judah and in, the, in its cities. Now he's switching to Judah. From Israel to Judah. When I bring back their captivity, the eternal bless you, they will say. Oh, home of justice and mountain of holiness. You know, the land of the brave and the home of the, you know the song? Uh, that's the attitude. I'll deny it's going to be Israel. Not America, America, but Israel, Israel. 24. And there shall dwell in Judah itself and in all its cities together farmers. That's your profession in the future, whether you like it or not. Some people think, you know, we're going to continue the society as it is, just with few modifications. No, God says it's going to be farmers. Just like I met Adam and Eve to be gardeners, you know, working with the land. You're going to be the same. And those going out with flocks, farmers and shepherds. These are the two professions God wanted his people Man, when he created men, that's the profession that he gave them. You'd be a gardener, a farmer, and a shepherd. These two things. Yeah, yes, there are many other things you can do also on the side. But not totally forsake that and become city people with all the iniquities and the evil that is in the cities. And the artificial technology and economy that we have that breeds an awful lot of misery upon many. God is going to totally wipe that out. And people who love it, God tells them, come out of Babylon. You have to reorient your mind. Think like I do. Live natural life. Verse 25, For I have satiated or satisfied fully the weary soul and have replenished every sorrowful soul. After this, I awoke and looked around and my sleep was sweet to me. God is finally happy. It's all done. Remember the last words that he said on the cross? You know, it's all done. So I was thinking toward that moment when his bride, his wife, will come back and the honeymoon is going to be there and joy and peace and happiness everywhere. That's what he was looking forward to. Not only, you know, that uh, his pain and sorrow was over, but also the joy. That's what it says, for the joy that was ahead of him. Not for the sorrow that he was going through, but for the joy that was ahead of him, he endured the cross, the sufferings of the cross. 
And if you don't understand the background, you don't know what you are reading. Verse 27, Behold, the days are coming, says the Eternal, that I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast. That means there going to be farmers in the land. And it shall come to pass that as I have watched over them to pluck up, to break down, to throw down, and to destroy, and to afflict. And that's what he told Jeremiah. That's your commission. First, punishment, destruction, you know, uprooting and all that. But then building. That's not the end of the story, in other words, he said. And people that don't read the whole story don't know that. And so he says, as I have done that, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, says the Eternal. In those days they shall say no more, the fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man who eats sour grapes, his teeth shall be cut on edge. And then the famous verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, says the Eternal, well, I will make a new covenant, that is the marriage, with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. How plain can God be? Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead, the, to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, my marriage, which they broke even the first night, so to speak, on the honeymoon with the golden calf. Though I was a husband to them, says the Eternal. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Eternal. I will put my law, not the law that is done away. I will put my law in their minds and write it in their, on their hearts. And I will be their God, I will be their husband, that is. And they shall be my people or my wife. Now, who is going to deny that? No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother say, Know the Lord. Everybody's going to know, he said. For all shall know me from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, says the Eternal. And I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. And until next time, this is again Mordecai Joseph saying greetings to all of God's people. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.